up, Greg? Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracer. And I am one of your hosts, Corwin Heller. And we are talking about the last two films we had to talk about before the Oscars rolled around to round out um, several categories for us, but most importantly, the Best Picture nomination category. So these are the last two movies before we complete that total batch of films that we had chosen to uh, prepare a discussion for for the Oscars. Now, the Oscars are coming up. This episode is releasing on 420. <laughs> Blazing. Um, and then the Oscars will be happening this uh, upcoming Sunday on the 25th. So, we're going to run it, because I think we mentioned it in the past, is that there will be, after this episode, there will be a mini-episode that will drop probably Thursday, the 22nd, where Gordon and I will go through all of the categories and make predictions. And then next Tuesday's episode will be recorded on Monday, following the Oscars, where Gordon and I talk about what actually ended up happening and how, you know, our reactions to which awards ended up ultimately getting, got awarded to um, the respective films that we ended up watching. So, all that being said, Corwin, you ready to start the show? Absolutely. All right, so our two movies for this week are Minari and The Father. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you have any preference? Uh, no, not really. All right, well, let's, let's start with Minari, then, for no good reason. Cool. Um, all right, so Minari, technically, I guess, for some reason, came out in 2020. Uh, it is written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. It is starring Stephen Yun, Yeri Han, and Alan S. Kim. Uh, let's see. Do we have a budget? Uh, I don't have... Hmm. Like $35. Uh, $2 million. A budget of $2 million and a box office. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross of $10.7 million. Between that and 11.6, I've seen... I'm looking at two different numbers here. Who knows and who cares? This wasn't a streaming film. Um, this is... I mean, like, it, you have to buy it. It's not like it's on Amazon or... I mean, even Amazon... It's not like it's on HBO Max or something like that where you can just kind of, like... You have the service and it's paid. The only way this to watch it. This was a pay-per-view movie. Right, right. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, so, even... Even the $20 I think this movie costs if you felt like paying for it, um, that's still less than the ticket price for two tickets. So, Did you feel like paying for it? I'm not here to disclose that information. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it's Who, something... Like what, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. What officer of the law is listening to this? And it's not like we're breaking it, so I fucking torrented the shit out of this movie. Fuck you, Arrest reality. Him. Arrest him! <laughs> It's, it is it is not illegal to torrent. It is illegal to host a torrent. Which is why you always gotta delete that shit when it comes green. Get it yeah. out of there. Yeah, don't let that shit seed. Don't 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 let it get red. Anyway. <laughs> um You must use right. a different device. Yeah, when it gets when it, it starts seeding when it gets like when it gets red, like it's green. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um So this film we're talking about it has six Oscar nominations, and they're all in pretty impactful categories. Um, it is nominated for Best Motion Picture motion picture of the Year for Christina O, oh, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Stephen Yun, and somehow Stephen Yun is the first Asian American and first person of East Asian descent to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor, 
which is wild. Blows my mind. I Oh my god, I know. And this is something of a through line for American cinema, which is, you know, stories of all minorities are underrepresented in media. But for some reason, it really is a lot of Asian-led films that don't get much attention or mm-hmm. even much look towards Asian men as leading men or, for that matter, Asian women as leading women. They're oftentimes side characters, if present in the film at all. And I, I'm guessing that that is just what led to Steven Yun being the first, um, which, I mean, I'm super happy for the guy. He seems like such a nice fucking dude. Um, in addition to this being a good movie, but crazy that's come that we've you know we've been making movies for 120 years conventionally and it's just now happening within the 90th oscar or season or whatever but regardless so good on you steven yun um it's also nominated for best achievement in directing for isaac for lee isaac chung best performance by an actress in a supporting role for yu jung yu jung yun and uh, Best Original Screenplay for Lee Isaac Chung, and Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures Original Score for Emil Moseri. This film is about a Korean family that starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. Uh, Corman, do you feel like starting, or do you want me to? Uh, you go ahead. I want to start for The Father. All right. This, I, I did not know what this movie was about. I did not feel like looking it up. That's not specific to this film. I never feel like looking up what movies are about because I'd rather experience them up front without knowing very much. I did All I knew was that this was about an Asian family in the South. That's kind of all I got from narrowly avoiding much discussion about it. Um, and this is a very interesting type of story because it's not what I was expecting based on what I had heard, which is... You know, I was expecting something a little bit more like, we are Asian, those are the whites, they don't treat us super great, and here we are being Asian, doing nothing wrong, and they're being mean to us for being Asian. Which is absolutely a story that I'm sure is told elsewhere, um, either within the book that this film is based off of, or um, somewhere else in life. Uh, I think this is, actually, no, I think this isn't, no, I just said, this is an original screenplay, isn't it? It's yeah, sorry, this is an original screenplay, so my mistake. Um, and it's not that. You know, there, there's definitely a, a little bit of culture shock. These, this family in particular had apparently lived in, I think, Seattle and L.A. were the other two cities that they had mentioned, um, in addition to living in cities in uh, Korea, but you know, speaking of the American cities that they were living in. So being in Arkansas, there was definitely a little bit of, uh, you know, some cultural differences and, you know, smaller moments of racism. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, nothing malicious necessarily in, you know, what you might expect out of Arkansas in the eighties, but still present. But anyway, this story was something I was very unprepared for. And I think it benefited so, so much from that. Um, by this is the type of movie that I think everyone wants to see for their respective minority groups. Because this movie shows people who just happened to be, or focuses around people who have such a you know cultural resonance that isn't necessarily going to bring about the catalyst for the um, confrontation in this film, but will be a through line and will be something that can resonate with people who also share some level of that experience. And that is exactly what I what I like seeing when I see 
movies about Jews. I have a hard time watching Holocaust movies. I have a very easy time watching every Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> you know, like, you want to see stories that happen to star people that you recognize uh, and that have traits that you recognize without necessarily it being like, oh, man, we're getting heavy into why it sucks to be Asian today. You know, like, that is valuable, but it can also be hard. And instead, this is a movie about people who were starting a farm that also had, you know, a lot of the traditional Korean dichotomies going on within it. You know what I mean? And that, those two stories and how they, or I guess that one story and those two sides of it that, that, you know, melded as the film went on, I think really played well to a strength of it and made, made this be a lot more compelling than it might seem from a description. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward. What did, what did, what did you think about it? Uh, so I will say I, I also went into this film relatively blank. Uh, the only thing I knew about this was that it was an Asian family uh, who visited a field at some point during a film, the film. Um, but at the end of the day, this is nothing against the the technical makeup, the technical making of the film. But I was a little disappointed. You know, I went into this with higher expectations than i know i should have i knew that from the start um and i will say and and be clear you know i i could not sit and watch this all the way through and it wasn't anything against the film it was just my schedule you know didn't happen to have you know another two hours of pure unstoppable movie time uh, i had to get up and do some things so i had to pause the movie and you know that always affects your enjoyment of it 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 always affects you know the the flow of the film and and how this all goes about um you know presenting itself to you and i think that may have negatively affected my ability to to kind of take in the storyline altogether um but i was a little disappointed just at the the overall you know narrative impact that it left on me you know i was you know expecting a a much stronger emotional draw to this a much stronger reaction from this um you know this that five other other things and unfortunately i just didn't have it i still really really enjoyed this movie and i'm and i'm gonna score it well by all means i just was expecting this to be kind of in contention for you know best picture as as it should it, it got that nomination and, and by all means it should have it should be in that conversation and i just don't think it's it's one of the front runners for me and you know each one of these characters was fantastic each one of these actors portrayed them in such an excellent way um i really enjoyed each and every one of them and how they connected with each other and and how all of these relationships kind of built on one another and 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 how this family worked as a family how they all kind of melded together how they they were woven together and i really enjoyed that uh and at the end of the day i don't know if it was just a different kind of movie than i was expecting but i wish i liked it more i wanted it to, to like it more and and I'm definitely going to have to go back and see this a few times to uh to really give myself a fair assessment. So, I I'm I'm with you, honestly. Um and it's something that I'm I 
Because you and I have talked before about how, like, when you like a movie but you don't love a movie, it can be tough to, mm-hmm. like, give it some shit. And I'm not going to give this movie shit. But I, I think it's almost too quiet at some points mm-hmm. and a little bit... It- like, I kept waiting for the moment that it was going to really, like, kind of punch you in the gut emotionally. Right. And I understand that the fire... And uh, that set the um, produce storage hut thing on fire was supposed to be in a way that, and it was, but it wasn't quite what I thought it was building up to. You know, it's like a car crash in a movie. Like you don't predict those. You know what I mean? And you don't mm-hmm. like emotionally build up to it. It's a thing that happens suddenly. As was this. Like I kept expecting for the grandmother to actually die or the, the kid to, to, to die or end up in the hospital. That, that might be a little bit traumatic, but you know, what I'm saying is something to do with these ailments that got shown. And the boy had a little moment where he ran and he wasn't supposed to run. And that was touching, but it didn't, I, I don't felt, I didn't feel like I got really a weight in the final moments of the film behind a punch. Something to really drive it home. And it, it was just too flat of a film. The highs weren't high enough. The lows weren't low enough. And it just felt like you were coasting through a story without it ever reaching any sort of climax. And thank you for putting into kind of words, thank you for putting into words um, the thing that, that really did it for me. And, and it really was just that, it it wasn't boring per se because it was a very interesting story. It just wasn't a very impactful story. It it right. never really did anything, you know. It it was just kind of a. It wasn't you know King to Ka as a roller coaster. It was just kind of like a a little kid oriented, just like lazy river ride, just kind of floating through and. Yeah, like they they faced hardships that you can relate to. They 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 faced problems that each of us in a way can relate to and have experienced in some capacity. It's just you expected more and you wanted more and and you wanted something that really left a, a lasting impression on you and and it didn't because it's just kind of hey, this this was a, a tough month for you guys, but that's really all you can say about it. And I will say, you know, before we move on, the the fire burning their their you know store facility, their store shed, uh, that was one of the best looking fires I've ever seen. That oh, was yeah. gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah, that was the whole sequence was phenomenally done. Even the uh, and and you know when Stephen Yun loses his wife in the smoke, you know it. You could, like, still make out some figures there, so it wasn't quite so, like, you know, when someone can't see something in pitch black and then we're all just looking at pitch black screen where you're like, okay, guess we're just waiting. Um, no, it was like you. there was a sense of urgency and you were also trying to pick out where things were. And it was very engaging. Um, but to get back to what you were saying, you know what I felt like this movie was? Because... What? You know, we, we talked about other movies that were, like, based on plays and felt like plays and based on books and felt like books. Uh, and I know this this is an original screenplay, but this felt like it was based on an article. Hmm. Because 
it does a good job of being surface level engaging and even a layer in engaging and telling a story that I want to hear. But it didn't go deep in any of the different levels it presented to you. It mentioned, you know, it shows some marital strife that might very well end up in, in divorce with, you know, the wife going back to a city. And then it kind of goes away, you know, and there's a reason for why it kind of goes away, but it kind of goes away. Um, there's some, you know, culture shock with the church and, and um, involving the, the farmhand. And it just kind of, it kind of goes away. You know, you get, like you said, there's, there's the, the little moment of a couple little moments of racism there thrown in with a little girl at the church. You know, that was there for a reason that served its purpose, but it, it, it by and large just kind of went away. It was, it was a pleasant surprise, the racism. And I, I do want to talk about that, but I'll let you finish if you have more to say. Well, I mean, just, just, just to summarize it, it, you know, it, it felt like an article because it felt like someone who wasn't living it, but saw it and talked to the people involved in it, telling it to us mm-hmm. instead of it feeling so in it. You know what I mean? Right. I, I do think that's a really good analogy. Um, I haven't read a, a honest to God feature length article about anything other than sports probably since <laughs> January, February. So it's been a minute. I should I should get back into that. I won't, but I should. Um, but I'll be honest. I was pleasantly surprised with the racism in this movie. And I don't think that's a sentence I ever thought I would ever say, but here we are. Um, because at the end of the day, it, it felt innocent in a way. It was racism by all means, but it was racism because people in Arkansas in 1980 probably had never actually seen someone from Southeast Asia before. And it was curiosity rather than hatred. It was people staring and people asking, ridiculous questions because they didn't know any better because they were curious they just wanted to know more and seeing their joy and happiness when they found they got cool answers like hey stop me when i say something in in korean just making a bunch of wildly racist sounds oh you actually said one oh my god that's so cool like i can't wait to learn more or like why is your face so flat i don't know it's not okay you want to hang out yeah sure let's hang out it was really pleasantly surprising because it could have been something that was easily just horrific and awful and just something that you sit back and go man i hated that that sucks uh this uh that's a bad taste in my mouth that it could have easily turned into that kind of movie and it didn't because it was focusing on the family. It was focusing on, on other things that just were more important to the story. And obviously you can't tell the story without that being there because you can't talk about this, the life of a of an Asian family in 1980 or Arkansas without it. But I'm happy with the way they expressed it and the way they featured that in the film. I, yeah, what I, what I think... The gentle touch, the gentle sprinkling of racism 
in this film really accomplishes for it is that it presents that reality in a way that won't overly detract from the main story it's trying to tell. Because if it was, like, severe racism, where they, like, feared for their lives, well, now this is a different movie. And that's okay to have that movie, but it's, it's a different movie. Right. And so what this showed is that, like, here's a reality. Um, it, 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 it looks pretty innocent, so we're not really going to have to get into it much, but just know that there was racism here. Um, and, and we're just we're just moving on with the chicken butts. Um, which I did not know was a job. And I Me? guess it makes sense, but I, I did not think that was a job. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure what else I have to really say about it. I didn't take very many notes while watching it. Um, and I think we moved through all the points that I had in my head. Oh, did you have anything else in this before we moved on? No, I mean, it, it, I hate that we don't have anything else to say because I, I want to have more to say about this. I want to talk about this more because by all means, it's something that I feel like we should talk about more, but. I really, I really just don't have anything, you know. I feel I mean, weird about it. I feel weird not wanting or not having anything else to talk about because I feel like we haven't really mentioned much, even though we've hit on everything. Um, yeah, I, 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 there's certain points that I know we're going to make when we get into the awards conversations around this because of representation and. You know, the story that this film is telling as opposed to, you know, just in juxtaposition to what other stories are being told from our Best Picture nominees this year. Um, in terms of, of this, I, I, you know, I really, I, I don't have too much. Um, I love the grandma. She was fantastic. She, she was, was fucking awesome. Amazing. Her and the son. That is a seriously treasured relationship and arc that is definitely going to be the highlight of of the um secondary you know the the watches i have after this they're going to be a focal point for me because they are absolutely adorable yeah at the end of the day like the thing that that drives home how much i do still enjoy this movie regardless of you know the flat narrative was I love this family. Like, say what you will about you know the the marital problems of of both the parents, but at the end of the day, like as a as a family as a as a family unit, they're fantastic to watch. You know, the kids are adorable. the The grandmother is hilarious and genuine, and exactly what you would expect from. Sorry, I should say nothing like you would expect from a old korean grandmother coming over from korea and it it was just so much fun to watch yeah she was great i i loved her ah uh, yeah and uh, the, the actress is the is the actress who is nominated for best supporting actress so once again her name is mm-hmm. uh yeah yu jung yoon so she is also nominated for an oscar oscar for this so we'll definitely be talking about her again um come our Wednesday or Thursday episode discussion and then probably once again in next Tuesday's episode. So she'll definitely be getting a little bit more mention, which will be fun. Um, Alright, well then I guess we'll, we'll move on from this. Closing thoughts for me. Um, I know Corn and I spent a little bit of time talking about 
some of the drawbacks of this film, uh, I think we're both going to conclude by still saying this is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really well done film that manages to tell a, several different stories all in one. Obviously, it has some mostly you know narrative flaws that Corin and I kind of picked on a little bit, but by and large, it still does a good job of showing um, a little bit of culture shock. Uh, some of the Asian American experience, um, what it, how it is to be a farmer in the eighties, uh, or at least, or at least yeah. trying to start out an agricultural lifestyle at a point in time where it's not as much considered as it was even fifty years prior, um, and it, which is also a story that you don't usually see a lot. You know, it usually is a lot of like farm movies, a lot of family farms and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that. I, idea is also very kind of fresh, even though it's really not. It's interesting, um, and then, you know, conversations around religion in this and and tradition, and you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different aspects of this film that keep it engaging all the way through, even if it doesn't necessarily drive home or, or you know suck in suck you into eat in any individual point as strongly or as mightily as you or at least as I watching this might have wanted but it's still such a different film from anything that I've seen recently in telling a story that I haven't heard told recently in, in the way that I haven't heard told and I all those things are wonderful and certainly appreciated so I think for this I'm going to go three and a half I think where I'm going to land on it um and I look forward to watching it again. I'm definitely going to watch this again at some point. Yeah, and as you know, I will definitely be watching this again by all means. I, I've said that. Uh, I also really think I would enjoy watching a sequel to this. Like, where the family goes next, how they recover, like, if they stay on the farm, if they, you know, move on, if they go back to California, if they... Whatever. I want to see more of this family, and, and this is genuinely an original screenplay that I want to see a sequel to, and I can't remember the last time I said that about a film. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm giving this a four. I, I enjoyed it. I would recommend this. Um, uh, I am very happy watching it, even if it wasn't to the expectations I made in my head. You know, I'm bumping my my number up to a four two. Three and a half felt wrong when I said it. Okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, right on. So, with that being wrapped up, let's go ahead and move forward to our next film, which is The Father, which is also technically a 2020 release. Father. It was directed. Mother. Oh, we don't need to talk about mother. Um, <laughs> it was directed by Florian Zeller. The screenplay was by um, Christopher Hampton, based upon the um, play by Florian Zeller, who also co-wrote the screenplay. Uh, it stars Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, and Mark Gaddis. Um, this film, do we have a budget? Uh, uh, somewhere under $20 million. That's what I got. And I've got a cumulative worldwide gross somewhere between 3 and $4.5 million. So... Sure. Is what it is. This is another pay-per-view movie, as as was Minari. This wasn't direct streaming anywhere, 
So it, it's still who the fuck knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is nominated for six Oscars, much like Minari. And it's nominated once again for several categories that we care very much so about. This is nominated for best performance by an actor in a leading role. For Anthony Hopkins, best performance by an actress in a supporting role. For Olivia Coleman, best adapted screenplay for Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller. Best achievement in film editing for Yorgos Lamprinos. Um, best achievement in production design for Peter Francis and Kathy Featherstone. And best motion picture of the year for David Parfit, Jean-Louis Livy, and Felipe Carcassone. Um, which, that's very annoying that they put Best Motion Picture of the Year at the bottom of this list, because it made me question whether or not I was right. That <laughs> like, like, we delayed this because it was supposed to be a Best Picture nominee, and it's always the first award, and for some reason... Like, I'm looking at Minaris. It, it's at the top. I don't know why that's at the bottom here. That really fucking annoyed me. Sorry. Anyway, anyway. Um, yeah. uh, this film is about a man who refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages, as he tries to make... Sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. Corwin, get us started. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come in hot and say this, this film really blew me away. Um, I just, I did not expect much out of this. My expectations were significantly lower for this than it were, was for Minari. Um, and I'll say, I just cannot believe how good this film was. And just both how good Anthony Hopkins was in it, which I shouldn't be surprised. He's truly one of the best actors I've ever seen on film. And the screenwriting of this, the screenplay is is perfect. Like, I'm sure we could sit and, and nitpick and, and find things that weren't perfect that issues that you could find loopholes you could find but i thought this was one of the the best written movies that i've seen in a, in a very very long time it it really is up there and i i cannot believe this isn't talked about more um just beautifully designed beautifully directed um there's just so much i love about this i mean there's little things that i just I I don't love I like but don't love but at the end of the day this this was tremendous and uh you know Olivia Coleman Anthony Hopkins those two are both tremendous and deserve this kind of film to really let themselves shine but Anthony Hopkins definitely you know stole the screen um or stole the show whatever the idiom is correctly supposed to be um but yeah, this was this was tremendous. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm right there with you. I almost I was not looking forward to watching this. I watched this one first because I knew I would. If I put this one off, I'd be less motivated to go out of my way to watch it, especially with how busy I was. So I watched this one first to be like, all right, I'll definitely want to watch Minari later. And wow just yeah. tremendous yeah i was actively not looking forward to watching this be for only because i figured it was going to be some typical oscar z nonsense mm -hmm. and uh, dude i i cried at the end of this movie this one this one got me wow. um i thought this was fucking phenomenal 
Oh my god. I I mean it navigates itself and carries itself in such a way where Anthony Hopkins is in every single scene. He is um barring a few sparse moments at beginnings or conclusions of scenes. Um mm-hmm. and has dialogue that I can't imagine what his <laughs> what his pages must have looked like. They must have been books compared to everybody else's pamphlets. Um, and yet, it flows. It has a flow. It doesn't feel congested. It doesn't feel preachy or overly monologued or soliloquied to death or any of that shit that can often happen, especially from play adaptations, which this is a play adaptation. Um, Florian Zeller wrote the play of this. None of that. It flowed so well, scene to scene. And the introduction of the concepts, or, or, or the introduction of the breaks in Anthony Hopkins's understanding of his situation and his reality come about so slyly mm-hmm. that you, I mean, I wasn't fucking expecting it. No. And they did such a great job with casting that in the the first time they switch out the actress who was playing Olivia Coleman's character, uh, and the first moment they switch out the woman who plays Anne at first, I the it took me a second. Playing Olivia Coleman's character, just I know what you mean, but like as a sentence, just it's twisting my brain up. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I, I I I was scrolling to find the name and I couldn't find it. <laughs> um. But anyway, when, when, when they changed Anne's actress the, you know, the first time, I, you know, I, I, I've seen Olivia Coleman act many times. She literally just won an Oscar two years ago. So, I mean, if, if you like British cinema, you, you, you will see Olivia Coleman a lot. She's very, very good and gets a lot of jobs. Um, but it took it take like it takes you a second. It took me it t- you know it takes a little second to register like, oh shit no 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 this is different. And then when he realizes it's different, and then putting to it presents this idea or this reality of what we'll call either dementia or Alzheimer's, some 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 level of you know memory deficiency corresponding with the passage of time and the aging process. In a way that I have literally never seen it presented, and mm-hmm. it was so fucking effective. Uh, that's exactly what you know. My next point was going to be just how unbelievably effective this was at putting you in this situation, dropping you into this story, and making you the viewer who, by all means, should have a complete picture of what's happening. And just questioning your own reality because of it. You don't know what's going on. Because even though you have seen everything that goes on in this story, you don't know what you can and cannot trust in the same way that someone with this affliction cannot trust their own reality. You can't trust anything this you know film presents to you because... You don't know if what you saw was real. You don't know if what you saw actually took place. If the people you spoke to or you watched speak are real. 
you don't know anything. Like you cannot trust yourself. And that is so fucking amazing to think about, to, to sit and, and watch this film and be put in this situation and go through this yourself. And it, to have this film genuinely draw out that kind of reaction just out of nowhere is insanity. It's amazing. Like I cannot think of another film in the past 10 years that does something remotely as well. You know, there's films like Memento or Prestige or those two that I could think of off the top of my head that do it in that same capacity, you know, to that same extent. I can't think of anything else. And you know what? Those two don't have the emotional weight that this film still manages to pack in. Absolutely. In addition to that. It's, I mean, because you you think about the directionally where this movie goes, it starts off with Olivia Coleman coming into this apartment and you go, all right, Anthony lives here and he doesn't want to leave. Right. Mm -hmm. Then as it, it, it goes on, it turns out that, there's a question of, is this his apartment in the first place? And then, I don't know about you, but I got the impression that uh, he was staying there and uh, Olivia Coleman, or Anne, um, was coming into check. Like, he kind of took over and she was staying somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, she's living there too and she's got, her husband is there and there was a question of, is she married and all this stuff. And, and the way it also plays with the passage of time. Because... You know, there's these conversations around, is she going to Paris or isn't she going to Paris or whatever, whatever, you know, she's staying in London, isn't she staying in London? And by the end of the film, she's been living in Paris for months, according to the nurse, which makes you then retroactively question, how long was he there for? How and long did at, this all go on for? And at the same time, there's scenes that take place where it seems like days are going by, hours are going by, you know, extensive periods of time are going by. In scenes. And it starts over. The scene starts over. You have no idea when anything is taking place. And by all means, if you told me that this film was, you know, it it had broken continuity and... you know any point in a scene could take place during any point during the story and and it goes back and like you just don't know i would say that that's batshit and crazy and would be a nightmare to watch and would be nearly unwatchable and it's fucking perfect yeah because what's amazing about it is that it fucks with the passage of time so heavily but doesn't clue you in on that directly it doesn't make it a point until the end of the film it kind of lets that shit happen to the point where you are questioning it as it goes along. Because when you're watching, like, Memento, and there's all these questions about the passage, that's the focal point of the movie. This movie is about time going in the reverse chronological order. Same thing if you're watching even Pulp Fiction. You know, this is a film that is told out of um, non-linearly. You know, we, we are breaking the traditional storytelling mold and making that part of the narrative of this film. This film does that, but doesn't tell you it. And manages to still put together a very, very clear line on what's happening chronologically 
where it makes sense emotionally, it makes sense logically, it makes sense as as it builds towards what it's working to, you know, towards the end, but also fucks with this basic concept of how long has this been happening for. And that's, I mean, that is so incredibly hard to do. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. It's amazing. I love this movie. I really do. And I'm sure there are many things that we could talk about. I, on one hand, I, I really just don't even know what else to get into. But at the end of the day, I, I'm going to give this an easy four and a half. And I was debating whether or not I would give it a five. Now thinking back, you know, 24 hours later, I think this is also, you know, an easy, not an easy five, but a, I'm going to give it a five. I think it deserves that. But I don't know where to rank this in the films that we have so far. And I, I don't want to spoil the Wednesday or the Thursday episode or whatever day that's supposed to come out. Uh, I don't know. Paul Goldschmidt just hit a home run. No big deal. Back to back with Tommy Edmond. Um, so I might. Castellanos homers makes it a 4 0 ball game. Um, I. I don't know if I should bite my tongue, but man, this I fucking love this movie. I I'm, I'm going to save my my reading for a little bit because I also wanted to ask you about one other thing that sure. is presented in this, and one of the other things that this film does so well is it shows Olivia Col- or the Anne and um, oh man, what was his actual name? It kept waffling between like James and Paul. Um, I'll stick with Paul. Because I think that's what it ended up being. Um, but Anne's husband. Um, it did a really um, good... Paul is correct. Okay. It did a really good job of also including them in this conversation around how difficult this part of the aging process is for Anthony Hopkins and how it was weighing on them, even though they had pretty limited screen time. And, you know, you see Paul be very angry towards um actually his name is anthony because this role was written for anthony hopkins so anthony hopkins um so i can say the actor's name and not be wrong uh what did how did you feel about that hostility of course watching someone kind of prey on an, an older man you know with this affliction you know physically harm them because of your own personal aggravation it it you know it it lets a fire in you you know of course that's going to get to you at the same time i can understand completely why him personally would feel that way i mean marrying a woman moving out with like moving into her apartment or living with her trying to move to paris and then all of a sudden a man who by all means, you don't know very well her father, someone she is, you know, someone she cares about more than you, by all means, but someone that you don't know, 
you don't appreciate on anywhere close to the same spectrum, but also requires significantly more attention and time and focus than you coming into your life in that capacity, I could understand why you would be angry, why you would be upset, why you would have this dissatisfaction with the situation that you're in and wanting it to to move on, wanting him to leave. How long are you going to stick around and, and keep, uh, I forget the phrase that he used, um, you know, giving, you know, giving everybody tits, something like that, like something weird, fucking English people. Um, I get it. It's something you can relate to. I'm sure if you have experienced this situation before, you understand what that's like, you know, it's not something, you know, in the same capacity Minari where it relates to a, a wide swath of people. But if you've been in that situation, I'm sure you can relate heavily where that's probably not the most comfortable place to live, where you need to constantly be taking care of someone who essentially you need to treat like a child with the mental capacity that i don't even know how to describe it but someone with that affliction that is just so taxing i can't imagine and i get why he would be angry but at the same time fuck that guy yeah i i think this movie does a oh god it does a great job of everything but i think it does such a phenomenal fucking job by not glorifying Anthony Hopkins' character just because he's going through this shit. It he like Anthony Hopkins throughout this film is also a, in large chunks of the movie a dick. And you know, part of that can obviously be attributed to his, you know, difficulties with his mental faculties, and part of it is because he seems like he's a grumpy old man. And if you're Paul, you've probably seen more of the stable Anthony Hopkins because he's probably been living with you pre however severe his mental decline has become because you'd assume it would progress as time goes on and so you know he's probably done with this shit and all of his dialogue tends to be centered around some relative specifics you know it'll come right after he gives Anna hard time or it'll um, be centered around you know your potential travel something that was present in a conversation um, and because Anthony Hopkins is difficult in this film for whatever reason or the other, not that it makes Paul sympathetic in any way, but it makes that conversation less brutal and just easy to be like, wow, that guy's such an asshole. Which, can you have that opinion? Absolutely. But it's not quite as cut and dry as it would be if Anthony Hopkins was nice. Because he's not. He's not necessarily a bad guy. He's definitely not a good guy either. And having him be, you know, a real person with more than one attitude, um, again, works as a strength to this because it shows that also just because what he's going through is difficult and scary and horrifying doesn't mean it also doesn't weigh on other people. And you get to see the two sides. Obviously, there's more than two. But you're going to see two main ways that that would be present with Anne being sad and Paul being angry. And the weight of this situation affecting them each 
in those different respects. And I think that level of depth for the consequences, the external consequences of this decline also adds to the weight of the decline itself. Oh, I just think it's so, so incredibly well done. Wholeheartedly agree. Excellent so final, answer. final question. What did you think of the ending when, uh, it turns out that for some period of time, uh, Tough to say, never really mentioned. Um, Anthony Hopkins had been in a nursing facility for at least several months. And this has been explained to him several times by the nurse, who is one of the faces that uh, becomes Anne at some point throughout the film. You, know, you see another face that often appears throughout the, the flat in England, um, which signals that clearly he has been here for some time. Um, but it was a a little twist. What'd you think about it? Oh man, I mean, how gut wrenching can you get with it? It's you know we've both dealt with elderly relatives reaching that point in their life where they're no longer the people you recognize, and and this is probably one of the first times in my life where I've watched something like this and truly feared for my future. 60 years down the road, 50, 60 years down the road where, man, when I get to this point in my life, if I'm, I can't imagine suffering through what we see Anthony suffer through in the end, just having such a, a, just terrible grasp on, on his reality around him to the point where we're watching his mind collapse and it's collapsing in on itself. And, it's just not something that, you know, there's no medicine to make it better. There's no surgery you can have to, to potentially fix it. There's no remedy. It's just something you have to deal with and, and there's no escaping it. And, oh, what a, what a heavy ending. But at the same time, I, I don't know how else you could have presented that. And man, it, it was fantastic. Horrifying, but fantastic. Yeah, and you know, it it drove kind of the point of the film home in such a way that it left no gray areas, no real mode of inter or avenue of interpretation about the finality of of this film, whereas so much of what had been happening, building up to it, is so much guesswork. And this really says, no, here we are. And to take all of the abstractions that have been shown prior and to then just lay all cards on the table of here's what is now real and here's what is now true and kind of take the, you know, romanticized a little bit, you know, that cinema, uh, that cinematographic kind of fancy feeling that this, you know, big movie seems to have and just wash that all away. No big fancy narrative structure anymore. No changing characters anymore. Here is the realness of this reality. Really fucking hits. It really fucking hit. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the line that got me was when Anthony Hopkins is asking the nurse about who the people are, where everybody is, and then he ends up by saying, and who am I? 
Mm. And that line was the one that I, I, I started crying at because it was like the last thing that he didn't need to question. Right. And that is what Corn and I have been saying a lot with this progression aspect of it. Like it had been building to that point. And to see it happen and to see it happen in the setting in which it happened, really, I mean, just brutal. But just perfectly done. Man, uh, I will wholeheartedly say I do not want to see a sequel for this one. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not even, like, confident I'm going to end up watching this again. I probably am, but I'm not going to say that with too much confidence just because. Ooh, boy. Um, I, wow. I was going to say, you know, I was just about to go into like, hey, like I'm out of grandparents, you know, I, I don't need to worry about this. You know, I, I probably could watch this again, but then I remembered that my parents are old. <laughs> so maybe I won't ever watch this again. There we uh, go. God, that that's a terrifying thought that I am not emotionally mature enough to handle yet and i don't know if i ever will be and the thought of that just tears me apart inside having to go through this with my own parents um oh god yeah we need to end this sooner rather than later because i'm with you we're gonna be crying in the club real quick so you going with a five stars on this bad boy i'm going with a solid five i'm right there with you and again, yeah. I cannot express how surprised I am by that based on how I was not excited at all to watch this movie before I ended up watching it. I've been I've been really bad lately with keeping up with the scores that I've been giving uh these films um like physically writing them down um because I I really want to know like I know I gave Nomadland a five. I don't know what I gave The Sound of Metal. I gave it a four and a half. Okay. Looking back, I don't know if I even agree with that. But at the end of the day, I don't I really don't know where to put this. I have a very clear top three, the same way I did last year in twenty you know, with the twenty nineteen films. But I just, I don't know what order to put them in. So it's going to make Wednesday's episode exciting. A little stressful, but exciting. Yeah, this will be interesting, man. This will be me. So, all right. So I guess then we're going to leave it there. So we're not picking movies for next week because, like I said, we're going to be having our post-Oscars discussion next week. And we want to give room for that whole conversation, which is why we're also doing a mini episode beforehand. So we really want to, you know, be able to, to speak about what happens so there'll be no movies for next week's show. But after, at the end of next week's show, we'll be each going back, we'll be going back to our old format where, you know, Corwin will pick a movie he wants to watch. I will pick a movie that I want to watch. They don't be current. They can be whatever. And we go on from there. So at the end of next week's episode, will be the official return to normalcy in our post-Oscars world. Um, yeah. Uh, Corbin, you got anything else before we get on out of here? Oh, man. Uh, I'm very happy with some of the films that we watched. Uh, I'm very unhappy with most of the films that we watched. 
this was a long drawn out process that I'm glad I did and can say that I, I have now done. Um, but man, there's, this wasn't a great year for movies. I'll be honest. There were some really tremendous ones at the top, but it dropped off super quick. Um, I'm sure, you know, I guarantee we'll be doing this again next year. Um, with all the postponements, I'm sure next year will be a tremendous year for film. Um, but yeah, here's to that. Here's to I 2020. I can't wait to watch uh, nine different movies about the pandemic next year. Dude, I can't wait for Dune. I'm going to give that my best picture now and just wait for something to knock it out. Oh, Timothy Chalamet. Go Jews. Go Jews. Um, all right, well, then we'll leave it there. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We don't really post from there, kind of ever. So if you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And if you want to email us any movie recommendations, thoughts, feelings, concerns, you can do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until actually this Thursday, uh, y'all have a good one. Bye.